0: The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message.
1: I want to talk to you today on the thought of why not me. Uh, I'm going to read I'm going to read these verses now, but I'm going to read them again a little bit later when it will make a little more sense to you. But I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. But in chapter 3, verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Thank you that you brought us back to life, God. We're just so thankful, Lord, that we're, that we're your children. And God, we just ask you to bless this message today and your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, oh, I forgot to talk about declarations for Jonathan. That's what I forgot. Um, declarations, uh, it's something we've been doing for quite a while. Uh, but basically some people get, mistaken uh, mistake it a little bit, I guess, because of all the name it and claim it religions that have been out there over the years. But what, uh, what it has to do with, uh, is, uh, when you do, when you're declaring things, you're not bossing God and you're not trying to, you know, say a special prayer, It's not anything like that. Basically, what it boils down to is the Bible tells us that when you pray, believe that you have received these things and you shall have them. And so most things come back to our belief systems. And so when you're declaring things, it's not that it's not even that you're, you know, people talk about reminding God of his promises. As important as that is, the real person you're needing to remind is you because he remembers his promises. And so what it is is when you're doing declarations, it's just creating... Because when you're worrying all the time, you're creating a wrong belief system in your mind. Right. And so when you start to declare things, it's the same thing like you roll it over in your head over and over. All those things that can go wrong, we're declaring all those things that God promised to so that when we believe them, we know we will receive them. So that's And I might talk more about that later, but that's the, that's the basics of it, of what it is. Because some people, even church people, it just really creeps them out for some reason, but it's not... It's not anything spooky or crazy, I promise you. I promise you that. It's just trying to create the correct belief systems in us. And one of those things that we need to believe is that God wants to do amazing things with us. And if I were to ask today how many people here want to do something great for the kingdom of God, probably every hand would go up. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if that wasn't a desire that you had in your life. But if I were then to say, all right, everybody's hands are up now, who in here believes that God is going to do something great in you or through you? I wonder how many hands would start going down down. if we had to be honest. You had to be completely honest that you believe that God's going to do something great through you in this life. A lot of people don't believe that. We can believe it for other people, but it's hard to believe it for ourselves. It's hard to believe that God wants to do something great through somebody like me. That's what we're all thinking. Other people are more qualified, but but I don't know about me. And then you'll have some people when you talk to them and you tell them that God wants to do great things with their life. And uh, like I said weeks ago, when I say great things, it doesn't mean something huge. It can be if God calls you to something giant to do. That's awesome. But it's the small things. It creates greatness and has the greatest impact many times. And so some people, you'll talk to them and say, God wants to do amazing things through you. God wants you to do something great for the kingdom. And they'll say, well, you know, I, I just don't really think about things like that. I'm not, that's just not the way, I'm, what way I am. I don't, I don't have thoughts like that. But that's a lie. It's not true because we all have thoughts like that. We all have a desire in us to be great and to do great things, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're born with a God-given desire to be great, every person. And I'm not talking about being conceited. I'm not talking about being arrogant, thinking you're better than somebody. I'm, I'm not talking about being prideful. I'm talking about a genuine desire to be great. When you were younger, those of you that are not young anymore, we've got some young people in here. When you're sitting there and you're, you're maybe you play baseball, I'm sure every single one of y'all, y'all, when you were throwing that ball up in the backyard, you were pretending that it was the bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, and then you pretended striking out every time. Yeah. No. You always hit the home run. It doesn't matter. It's just the way that it is. You never, you never imagine yourself losing the game. But you, then you'll say, well, I just don't, I don't really have thoughts about being great. It's not true. Yes, you do. Everybody does. Uh, When I was uh, practicing basketball when I was younger, if I had no one there to play with, I would be in the front yard shooting hoops myself. At some point in time, I was going to practice my buzzer beater because everybody needs a good buzzer beater shot. You never know when it's going to happen and your number is going to get called. Even when you're four foot ten and you're at the end of the bench, you just never know. It might be you. (laughs) I got put in one time with one second on the clock. And, and I got the best coaching I ever got in my life. He said, take care of the ball. I said, I got it coach, one second, you're safe. I'm not gonna mess it up in one second. But I would practice my buzzer beater shot. I'm counting it down from five or from three, you know, depending on how tight this game was, what, how tight the defense was on me, I'm practicing it. And I never lost a game, never. Because you all know what happens if you miss the shot. You got fouled. You go to the line, and if you missed the free throw, there was a lane violation. One way or another, I was going to win that game. I never imagined myself losing. It wasn't a possibility. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be the one who won the game, and that's how every single person is. And it's the same way. Maybe your thing's not sports. Um, Maybe, maybe you're into beauty pageants, and. I'm pretty sure that none of the ladies in here have ever imagined yourself getting third runner up. You never dressed up and said, and put on your, all that, your mom's makeup and then be like, man, it's going to be so amazing when I'm third place in homecoming queen <laughs> or the prom. No, you're always the winner. You're always the one getting the attention and doing something great. You imagine yourself winning. You have a desire to be great and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We all have it. Even though a lot, of, a lot of church people will tell you there's something wrong with it, there's not because everybody's that way. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46, it says this. It says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. So we know this story. The disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And if you think about it, Heather and I spoke about uh, comparison versus creativity a few weeks ago. They're, well, that's what they're doing. They're comparing themselves to one another. And they're, uh, I imagine it's pretty heated because some of them are pointing out, hey, Jesus always has me do this because I'm better at this than you are. Well, I'm the best at this. Well, I'm the best at that. And they're going back and forth, comparing themselves, saying that I'm going to be the greatest because they're just like we are. You get around some church people and you'll you'll see it. And they'll start arguing over who's the greatest. But I want you to notice what Jesus does and what he does not do. First thing is that Jesus never rebukes them for wanting to be great. He never says that they're sinning because they have a desire to be the greatest. He never tells them that they're evil because they are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. He just stops them right in the middle, and then he redefines greatness. He tells them what greatness really is. He tells them how to be great in the kingdom is just doing the little things of accepting a child. You receive this child, you receive me. You receive him who sent me. He tells him that the least among you will be great. So he redefines what greatness is, but he never says that greatness is wrong. So if there's nothing wrong with desiring to be great, and we know that we all have a desire to be great, why are we so content with just sitting on the sidelines? Why are so many of us seem to be just okay with going through the motions and never going for greatness with God? And so I want us to take a quick look at Moses for a little while today. And with Moses, the scriptures I just read, and we know uh, he spent the first 40 years of his life serving in the uh, Egyptian bureaucracy. And so he's there with Pharaoh's daughter and uh, Egypt might seem like, I don't know, the least likely place for God to to train a leader that he's going to use in the way that he uses Moses, but God knows what he's doing and he does what he wants to do. He had it figured out. And so even though Moses had a good life in Egypt, he probably, he knew where he was from. He knew who his people were. So he probably cringed every time he would hear the crack of the whip against his people. Every time he would see that the the labor was being increased upon the people. I imagine it it, it bothered him. Even though he never knew the cruelty of the slave drivers personally, while he was growing up in Pharaoh's daughter's house, it probably bothered him the fact that his people had to suffer. And so we know the story, how it goes, and that if not, go back and read it. It's an awesome story. But, but Moses, uh, he, he kills the Egyptian slave driver That is, that he's, while he's trying to defend one of the Hebrew slaves. And so now he has to run for his life. He's afraid for his life, and so he ends up uh, tending livestock on the backside of the desert. And so now he spends 40 years serving as a shepherd in Midian. And so what happens here is we have to realize we know the story of God calling him through the burning bush one of the m- excuses that most of us use when we don't we, we say we don't we don't we can't do this for God or we can't do that for God is we're too busy. Everybody in here's used that excuse. We all we all use it. But it's funny that as you look around that God usually calls people who are busy. Moses was tending the livestock. Gideon was threshing grain. Samuel was serving in the tabernacle, doing all his stuff. David was caring for sheep. Elisha was plowing. Four of the apostles were trying to manage their fishing business. Matthew's collecting those taxes. They were busy. See, being busy does not keep God from calling you, and it does not keep him from being able to do great things through you and with you. And so here's Moses. He's busy. And he's being a shepherd. And probably I like to use my imagination when it comes to Moses. I just like to think about him probably night after night. He's thinking about the situation of his people. How can you see something like that going on and then just put it off? He's thinking about it probably constantly. Maybe night after night, day after day, he's even praying for them. And he's asking God, like what we do a lot of times, God, when are, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do that? God, why don't you help them? Why don't you, you know, you've prayed those prayers. And then finally one day, God says to Moses through that bush, he says, I've got an idea, why don't you go deliver them? I'm going to send you. And so I think Moses was just like us. He probably thought all the time, over that whole 40 years of how he should have done this and should have done that before he left. Have you ever had something like that happen? You get a confrontation or a conflict, and for days, weeks, months, maybe years, you keep thinking, man, I should have said this when they said that. And you play it over and over in your mind, or, you know, if we're being honest, I should have slapped them when they said that. that I should have knocked that person out or whatever. And it's like, it'll consume you. So just imagine Moses. I think that's what he was doing. He probably had... Thought after thought about how awesome it would be even for God to use him to set the people free. What if I'd have said this? What if I would have done that? He thought over and over about how unfair it was, and he daydreamed of being the hero for his people. So I, I think he probably dreamed many times of doing something great for God, just like we do. Doing something great for God's people. But now, God's ready to do something. But he wants to use Moses. Moses. And Moses doesn't want any part of this plan. This is not what he was talking about when he was telling God you need to do something. He needed God to use someone else. And that's what we do a lot of times. We, don't, we think it, it can't be us. And so he starts coming up with every reason why he can't be the one that God uses. And they were good reasons. And they were all true, more, mostly. He says first, he says, he can't do it because he's a nobody. Has anyone here ever used that one? I'm not important enough. People don't know who I am. He says, "Who?" Uh, who he says, "Then I don't even know your name, God." So he's saying, "I don't know enough about the Bible. How am I going to do this for the Lord? I, I don't know enough. I don't. I haven't memorized as many scriptures as this person or that person." He's telling, "Who? Who am I going to tell? Him sent me. I'm not anointed enough." So now he says. Well, the elders, they're not going to believe me. And what this basically is saying, he's saying, I don't have enough credentials. The Jewish elders are never going to accept me. They're never going to believe me. I don't, and we do that too. I haven't been to enough Bible classes. I'm not licensed. I'm not this. I'm not that. You've all, you've all made these excuses, at least thought them in your mind. He says he can't do it because he's not a good speaker. And then he even uses the excuse that all of us have used and we continue to use over and over and over Somebody else could do it better than me. Well, I want to read those scriptures again to you now. So, Brian, if you can pull them back up. So Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. See, most of us are just like Moses. We see a need. We see a need that's begging for somebody to meet it. And we may even pray about it. But instead of saying, why not me, Lord? Why can't I be the one used to meet that need? Why can't I make a difference? Why not me? Instead, we ask, what do I have to offer? What could I do with something as challenging as this situation? How could I, how could I even help? See, we just said earlier that we all have a desire to be great. But when the opportunity comes for us to do something great for God, we give the same excuses that Moses did. I'm a nobody. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't had enough training. Somebody else could do it better. Well, what's interesting about Moses is that God never disputes any of Moses' claims. How would you like to do that? Do 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 you know people that, like, they say something bad about themselves so that you can reassure them you imagine you're you know maybe maybe moses still wanted to be the hero but he's thinking well and he thinks god's gonna say oh moses no you're great god never says that he pretty much agrees with everything moses says yeah yeah you're right and and when when he talks to him and moses says i can't talk i'm i'm horrible with my my, i'm a terrible speaker i stutter i do all this other stuff god just says okay well i'll be with you though and then he says it again, and then he, he still doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'll help you speak better, I'll keep you from stuttering, don't worry about it, Moses. He says, yeah, you're right, I'll send Aaron with you so he can talk. You tell him what I said, and then he'll tell him what you said. Now, that doesn't boost your confidence very well, <laughs> but it didn't change the fact that God had called him to greatness. He never disputed any of Moses' claims, but he never took back the call either. He still had a job for Moses to do. He just kept reassuring him that I will be with you. I will be with you. And God does the same thing for us today. He listens to our complaints. He listens to our excuses. And many of them are true, especially the one that somebody could do it better. There's always somebody who could do it better. I don't care how good you are. There's always someone better out there. We see that all the time, especially in like boxing and MMA. They think there's always going to be sooner or later, there's going to be somebody tougher that they run into. See, God says, that's okay because I'm going to be with you. He reminds us that he's in control of all things and that if he called us, he's going to equip us. But then, you know, we've all been trained so well, we say, oh, I know, God, I'm, I'm a person of faith. I know you said you would never leave me. You would never forsake me. You're there. God, I know you're able. The problem is I just don't have what it takes. You know, that whole it's not, it's not you, it's me. And God says, okay, well, let's see what you do have. And so just like he said to Moses in Exodus 4, verse 2, he says, "Then the Lord said, what is that in your hand? See, as the church, we as the church, and I definitely include myself here because I am, I am really good at this. But we're constantly complaining about what we can't do and why we can't do it. Why we can't do this that someone else can do. And then we're, we're always talking about what we don't have and why we can't have it or why we'll never have it. And uh, do any of y'all do that? No hands. A couple nods. <laughs> I, I am really good at doing this. I think a lot of us are. But God is just saying, well, just like, just look at what you do have in your hand right now. What do you have? Because you can take what you have and you can use it to meet a need. And if you just will let me help you with it. I had someone talking to me. This was years ago. And uh, well, I'll do He's told me he was going to come visit, and he hadn't come yet, so I'll just call his name. Most of y'all know Talmadge Rogers. Talmadge was having one of those conversations about what he would do if he won the lottery. Y'all have all done that, too. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about it, and he and I can't. the lottery was like a ridiculous amount back then. I don't remember what it was. And he said, I was sitting there thinking, and uh, he said, I was like, all the... If you know Talmud, you know how he talks. He was just like, all the stupid people who win the lottery and they lose all their money and they do this and that. He said, I was just thinking, if I won the lottery, how much I could do for the church and how I could do this and do that. And he said, and I wasn't really praying, but I kind of even said, Lord, if I was ever win the lottery, I would like to do. And he named a couple things he would do. But see, that's what we that's the attitude we always have. You know, whenever I get to this level, I'm going to do something for God. Whenever I get this much money in the bank, I'm going to do something for God. Whenever I get this much time, I'm going to do something for God. He was having one of those moments, and the Lord spoke to him and said, right now, $2 would help some people. You do have $2 you could give. And he said, he began to think about it, about how the same thing, he was limiting himself on doing something great, because some, for some people, helping them out with $2 would be a great thing. And when you do that, just like receiving that child, receiving the least of these, you receive him. You've done something great for the kingdom of God. It doesn't always have to be something huge, but it's a desire to do something great. And so he said it just really convicted him like crazy that God would say that to him, that two, look at all the people that two dollars could help right now that you could give. See, we need to get the why not me attitude. Why not me? Why can't God use me? Why can't God use you? Why can't it be us? Why can't it be right now? Why can't it be right here? Why does it have to be somewhere else? See, God has given each of us the desire to be great. And the key to greatness is seeing the need and then letting God use what's in your hands. And so I want us to look at these couple things uh, from different stories in the Bible uh, real quick. So God used uh, Moses, what was in Moses' hand, and delivered the people. The staff of Moses became the staff of God. And did the miraculous. David had a sling in his hand and he used it to slay a giant. Now, the interesting thing about that is that David comes from the tribe of Judah. And Judah's known for being worshipers, right? They're musicians, they're singers. Well, Saul comes from the tribe of Benjamin. And what you might not know is the tribe of Benjamin, what they're known for is they were expert marksmen, left-handed or right-handed, using bow and arrows and slings. So think about that for a second. More than likely, Saul was better with a sling than David was with a sling. But he wouldn't give what he had to God. We know all the issues, character flaws Saul had going on. But yet here, now God uses someone, using the very weapon that the king is supposed to be the best with, to take out the giant. And the difference was David was willing to give him what was in his hand. And so then we have the woman who had just a handful of, uh, of meal, and God used it to sustain her and the prophet. And we have the little boy who had five loaves and two fish in his hand. God used it to feed a multitude. So now we've got the whole thing with David. You don't think you, somebody else can do it better. But yet God used the person That was just willing to give what was in his hand. And now we have the little boy. Now, when you read the story of the 5,000, what's interesting is that they always say that there was what? 5,000 men plus women and children. So that means that this little kid wasn't even important enough to be counted that day. They only counted the men. They were the only ones important. They didn't count the kids or the women. But yet God chose to use someone who wasn't even counted to be the one to create the miracle because he was willing to give what was in his hand. There's a lot of people who are never going to count you for anything. You're not going to be the most important person in the room. That doesn't matter. That doesn't change what God can do through you if you give him what's in your hand. There's a widow who had only two mites in her hand, but she gave what she had, and it got the attention of the Savior. You might not be the richest person in the room, and there might be some people who maybe they've held back and not even given in the offering plate because they were embarrassed about the amount they had to give. It never has to be anything big. It's all about the desire. God's given you a desire to be great. Don't stop that desire because of what somebody else may say or what somebody else may think. That little bit that you have to give may be the very thing that catches the attention of the Savior. And when, he, when you catch His attention, that's when, everything, that's when everything changes. They may have all the talent in the world, but their talent is not going to get anybody saved. It's not going to make a difference in anyone's life, and their talent cannot cause the miraculous. But when you catch the attention of the Savior, all those things are, are possible. See, whatever it is that we have in our hand today, we need to give it to the Lord and allow it to be used for his service. One man once said, God does not judge a man according to what he gives, but according to what is left in his pocket. Now, I'm not sure if he was taking the offering up when he said that quote or not, but forget money for a minute and just apply it to everything else. God has given you a lot what have you given back and what have you been holding on to because you've believed the lies of the enemy, that you're just like Moses, you're not good enough, you're not accomplished enough, somebody else could do it better. See, don't worry about what someone else might say or what they might think about what you're doing. Just give it to God and allow Him to use it for His glory. One thing I've learned is that people are going to say all kinds of things, no matter what you do. I've had people say all kinds of horrible things about me. I had them say horrible things about me, uh, before we even uh, when we started our church they said horrible things about me in the church and we hadn't even started the church yet they could at least let us have a service <laughs> and seen how bad it really was they, they, they might have had more to say if they would just waited a week or two but we hadn't even started see that's what people do if you're really good at something then they'll say you're prideful and that you're arrogant that you're conceited if you're not very good at something oh it gets real bad then <laughs> Maybe you're just learning. You're just stepping out, trying something new. They'll talk about how terrible you are. And they'll say, God bless them or bless their little heart at the end because that makes it all right. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter what you do. You, you can't get away from it. So you might as well go ahead and try and do something great for God. Ask yourself, why not me? My uncle has a, this man actually is his, ended up being his pastor. But I heard this guy preach one time. And he was unbelievable. He quoted like the whole second chapter of Acts. I mean, when you start quoting chapters, you, you, you're impressing me. And uh, he's just just letting it go. It was amazing service and message. And so I saw my uncle and I said, hey, I saw your pastor preaching a couple months ago. And I said, man, he was, he's unbelievable. He said, he, said he, uh, he, he amazes me every time I hear him. I'm thinking, well, he will not that good. <laughs> but, no, he, he was really good. <laughs> he said... He he said, but he said, you know why he amazes me? I said, why? He said, I went to college with him at Lee University. And he said, I had a class with him. And he was there, you know, he said, I was just there going to college, but he was there to be a minister. And he said, they called on him in class one day to say a prayer. He said, it was the worst prayer I've ever heard in my life. He said, this guy couldn't even say a prayer, Aaron. He He said, I felt so embarrassed and so sorry for him. And he says, for a a guy at 18, 19 years old that said a prayer like that to hear what he preaches like now every Sunday at church as my pastor, he said, it just blows my mind. He said, it's just unbelievable. See, he gave God what he had, and it wasn't much in college, but now he's one of the most successful men in this denomination, actually. See, God can take our limited abilities, and he can use them for great purposes He can do just what he did for Moses. The staff of Moses became the staff of God, did the miraculous and the supernatural. The key is offering up our abilities, as feeble as they may be, but offering them up to God. See, when we do, that insignificant thing in our hands becomes something mighty, powerful, miraculous in God's hands. And people are already already thinking, but I don't have much to offer. It's never going to be much until you offer it. As long as you hold on to it, it will never be much. But when you give it to God, it all changes. So I encourage you today, get the why not me attitude. Find a need and fill it, meet it. If you don't think you have the ability, then just trust God. Use what you have and do what you can. Some of you may know who Randy Clark is. Uh, If not, he was the evangelist of the big Toronto revival. And he was pretty much a nobody. I can't even remember what state he was from, but uh, he had a a small Baptist church and he was desiring more of God because he said he was a real boring uh, preacher. And so he made a call out to the Vineyard Church, John Wimber's church out in California, asked John Wimber to come help him. Uh, I don't know how in the world he got away with doing that in the Baptist church, but that's what he did and john wimmer said i can't come but i can send you somebody from my staff most people would say no because you know you want the main guy and he said send anybody you got and he sent this guy named blaine i can't remember his last name and he comes and he teaches on the gifts of the spirit he teaches on the baptism of the holy spirit he teaches on words of knowledge and all these different things and god just starts pouring out his spirit on this baptist church and, of course, Randy's upset because he's pouring it all out on all the people who didn't believe in it, and he's stuck getting nothing here at, this, at the services. God's not moving on him. He's moving on all the people who didn't want the guy to come. And uh, so through this, he gets invited to a conference, and he goes to this conference, and he's still kind of upset because nothing's happened to him at his church, and he's the one who's gone to all this work. And he's preaching another boring sermon, but the power of God just falls on the place, and it just goes nuts in there. And, uh, he's on stage just kind of watching it, doesn't understand half of it, but he's watching it. So he gets a call from John Arnott from, uh, that, from the church in Toronto he said, we want you to come do a revival here. And he said, wait a second. You heard about that conference, didn't you? And he said, uh, he said, yeah, we heard it. He said, no, look, he said, that doesn't happen in my services. If you're expecting that, you don't want me. It's not going to happen. And he told him, he said, look, don't worry about what happens or don't happen. You just come preach. And everything will be fine. So he goes to Toronto. And I can't remember how many services in there were. I think three. And he said they were just boring and dry like his usual service. And he got up, preached another boring sermon. And then he just gave another boring altar call. And he said as soon as he gave the altar call, the power of God fell. And that's when they started having the big Toronto revival. And so this revival went on for, well, it kind of went on for years. But... um, during this time, he would, take, he would go back home for periods of time. He wasn't always the preacher. They had different preachers, but he was in and out in there and there, and God was moving in amazing ways. And so he gets back to his hometown, and word has gotten out about this revival in Toronto. And this guy comes up to him, another preacher that he knew in the area. And the guy's just upset. And he says, I just don't get it. He said, what? He said, I'm a better preacher than you. I've been preaching longer than you. I've got more people in my church than you. I've, I've got more Bible uh, college training than you. And he said, I don't know why God would use you instead of me. It just doesn't make sense. And he said, well, it's, it's obvious why he used me instead of you. And he said, why? He said, because I'm more qualified than you. Now the guy gets upset, says, did you not hear what I just said? He said, I, and he goes through the list again. And he told him, he said, you're right. Everything you're saying is true, but I'm more qualified because God said he would use the foolish things. So now the guy can't argue with him because he's going to be calling himself, a, you know, arguing for who's the biggest fool. And, uh, and, and he, the guy just let him along and went on with it. And he was, he was telling in the story at the conference we were at about the same thing, about limiting yourself because of who has, everybody arguing about the qualifications of who's this, who's that. Man, if I'm, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we got problems. I like people smarter than me being around me. I don't like being the person who has to make every decision and be the one that everybody has to look to and, and, and the ultimate authority on everything because I don't know it all. I don't, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't know anything at all sometimes it seems like. And when you think you do, that's usually when you find out you were wrong. Something happens that shakes you up. But see, there's no excuse. We all qualify. If you've gotten the most education of anybody in here today, Good, you qualify, but so does the person with the least amount in here. God can use every single person in this place. So why not us today? Why can't it be here? Why can't it be now? Why can't it be me and you? It, we, we are special. I was about to say it doesn't take a special person, but we are special because we're sons and daughters. So God takes no account of our abilities or our lack of abilities. When he looks at every person in here, all he sees is our possibilities what He's spoken into our lives, if we'll just go for it and trust Him. John 14, 16, uh, Jesus says that the Father will send us another helper. And this is where we usually get it really messed up. God did not send the Holy Spirit to us to do the job. He sent the Holy Spirit to us to help us do the job. He didn't send Him to do the job, He sent Him to be a helper. So that tells us that we have to step out and do some great things for the kingdom. Oh man, this revival that's coming! The Holy Spirit's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. That's true, but He's coming as a helper. Somebody's got to proclaim the promises of God. Somebody's got to stand on the promises of God. Somebody's got to share the message. Somebody's got to be willing to go, even if you stutter, even if somebody's better, even if you're not the best to do it, and just say, "I'll go and trust God on this." And when you do, that's when great things happen for the kingdom. But I do want to challenge you that when you're when you're praying and you're spending your time meditating with the Lord because it's so easy to start to start telling the Holy Spirit what he needs to do. And for, instead of praying, "Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to do this. Help me to do that. Help me to find a way whatever it is that you're praying about." And uh, I don't want to boss anybody about how to pray, but hey, if you're getting all the results you want, keep doing it your way. If you're not It never hurts to try something different every every now and then. And Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today, God. Lord, we thank you that you have greatness in store for every person in here, God. Lord, help us to go after that, Lord. Help us to trust you, Lord, and to give you what's in our hands, God. We've held on to it for way too long and done absolutely nothing with it. Lord, we might as well give it to you and see you do great things. Because, God, that's what you do. Lord, we just thank you for your for your goodness. We thank you for your love, God. Lord, we pray for the needs of those that are sick in body. Lord, we pray for Nathan. We speak healing to his lungs and to his uh, digestive system and to everything that's going on, Lord, just complete restoration and healing from all the trauma from the sickness, God. We pray that over John, Lord. We pray healing to his heart and to his kidneys, healing to Kevin's kidneys, God, that they would find out what's going on and get him the help that he needs, Lord. We just speak uh, complete and total healing over his body, Lord, and, and, uh, and Sarah as well. God, whatever's going on, she's asking for a special touch today, this issue going on with her face and her leg, God. And, Lord, so many others that are battling sickness, Lord, in their, in their bodies, Lord, and even in their minds, God, we just speak peace and joy, and, Lord, they're just, you're just so good to us, God, and we just want to do what you've called us to do, God. Help us to, help us to take responsibility for the call you've put upon us to go out, Lord, and do the miraculous, God, and do great things for the kingdom, no matter how big or small they may be. Help us, Lord, to receive you and receive the Father as we receive those you place in our path and show them just how good and great you are. And, God, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at SaponaRoadChurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 AM Sunday mornings and seven o'clock PM Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.